Welcome to River City Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co. Tonight, I'm going to do my best not to get too bogged down in information, but I want to teach a little bit tonight about the subject of praise in particular. We've been looking at, over the last few weeks, the first part of this, kind of what's becoming a series. That's usually how series work for me anyway. I don't plan them. They just find me. But our first our first part was two weeks ago, we did Chain Breakers, and we looked at the story of Paul and Silas, how they were in prison, and in their in their really one of the most difficult moments they had experienced up to that point. They, of course, would go through uh, persecution repeatedly in different settings, but uh, here they've been beaten, they've been uh, bruised, they've been arrested, they've been placed in a prison, and at midnight, the darkest point, rather than complain, worry, stress out, feel like they failed, they begin to pray and they begin to worship. And in the midst of that, God showed up. Uh, in the midst of that, God stepped in and uh, broke the chains and opened the doors, and their worship changed the atmosphere, changed the environment, not just by people hearing them sing and having a good attitude, but there was an actual spiritual impact on that place, and revival broke out right in the middle of that Philippian jail. Uh, and so that's just, that's, I, I shared that night several testimonies of, of things that, uh, how God has moved in, in that, and maybe you have testimonies in your own life of, of the effect of praise and worship. And uh, this is a subject that for some people, especially if you haven't grown up with this, or uh, you just, it's its maybe new for a lot of people, and, and that's okay. Uh, but really what praise and worship is about, it's our response to the worth of God. It's our response to who He is. And I want us to be a church that people want to come to, but more importantly, I want us to be a church that God wants to come to. You know, I, I've, I've, I've been in ministry a long time. I've, I've been around a lot of circles and environments where there's a lot of discussion about uh, how to be effective uh, as the church. And I think there's a lot of things that are good. They're not bad. A lot of things that are good, but there's a lot, very little uh, preparation for making the church a place, or at least a um, a, a, a intentionality, let me say it that way, of making the church a place, not just that people want to come to, that we can uh, see lost people come to Jesus and see our friends come to Christ. And that's, the church should be that. Are you with me? Uh, you know, I don't want to just have a nice church party till Jesus comes back or we all die and go to heaven. Or, or, like, I, I don't want to just have, have church. I want us to see people come to Jesus. And we have. We've seen over 90 people come to Jesus as a church. But I, I can tell you this, that praise and worship is setting the table. Uh, hey, yeah, come on, Jesus. Yes. Thank you. Come on. You ready to preach, Penelope? We, uh, we, we, I tell you what, when we set the table for God, last week we looked at hosting heaven. I want to continue that theme today uh, with hosting heaven. Last week we looked at a, a story in the Bible where Abraham set the table and hosted God himself uh, as, as, he, as he did. And of course, he was blessed in the process. Today, I want to, I'm going to read a lot from the Psalms. Psalm 65, Psalms, the book of Psalms is the longest book in the Bible, and it's full of songs. It's full of worship songs, songs 
songs of thanksgiving, songs, songs of praise, uh, songs that declare who God is, songs sometimes just of, hey, I'm having a bad day and here's how I feel about it. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, and, you know, sometimes David, as he was writing the songs, would, would, Psalms would describe how he was feeling towards his enemies. And, uh, and so it was, it was how he was pouring out his heart to God. Uh, but I want us to look at this. Psalm 65, verse 1 says, a Psalm of David, a song, a praise, praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. I want you to catch this. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. If you've heard me share this verse, this has been something that I've kind of just carried the last couple years of just a, a recognition that in my relationship with God and for us as a church, that we, when, when, when God shows up, now that may seem weird to some people, well, God's everywhere, yes, but he's not experienced or known everywhere. And, uh, and when God steps into a situation where he's experienced, manifest, as the Bible would call it, using Bible terminology, that people encounter God for themselves, that uh, that when that moment happens, that, that we, we look at this, it says that praise is awaiting you. When God steps into the room, what's the posture of our heart? When God steps in the place, what's the, the posture of our heart? She can preach later. <laughs> A little future preacher here, Penelope. Uh, so, but hey, listen, I'll tell you what. When, when God steps in, I want my, the posture of my heart to be tur- turned towards him. I want it to be a place of praise. I want it to be a place of adoration and worship to God. So praise is awaiting you in Zion, O oh God. So praise is important. And, and I just want to say this. Uh, these are some stats, but you don't have to write these down. But I, I had this a few years ago where I came across that this kind of comparison. How many times the Bible talks about methods or uh, concepts of praise and worship in the Bible? And uh, sometimes it's weighted very small in our experience as the church, uh, depending on our background or discussed very little. Uh, but I think it's important, you know, I, I, probably the best, uh, most feedback I've gotten on anything I've preached in the last month was something I just simply said after worship a couple weeks ago about a conversation with my son during the revival about why we lift our hands and how lifting our hands is a sign of surrender. It's also like a child reaching up to their father. And, and, and because a lot of times we do things in the church and don't know why we're doing them. A lot of times we're doing things in the church and we don't understand what's the, the, both the foundation behind it, but also the heart behind it. So I want to give you this so that we recognize that we're not just singing songs, but we're actually inviting and setting the table. Praise sets the table, not just in church and not just in church services, but in every area of our life. If we want to host heaven. We want to invite God to, to do what only he can do. Uh, and, you know, even in the midst of need, in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty, we can inv- create an environment, we can change the environment through our prayer, through our praise, and through our worship. And so looking at this, uh, you know, there's a lot of I'll say core fundamental truths in the Bible. Uh, you could say they're, they're fundamental doctrines, things like the virgin birth of Christ. There's uh, two primary passages in the Bible that describe the virgin birth of Christ, but there's five that describe dancing in the Bible. And this is not to say that one's more than another, but when we look at this, the Bible describes uh, there's 12 passages related to missions and proclaiming the gospel to the nations. There's 65 passages in Scripture related to shouting. Uh, there's 70 passages in the Bible related to the justification of, of sin. We're forgiven of our sins, justified, made right before God through Jesus. There's 135 passages in Scripture about thanksgiving. 72 about sanctification, 287 about singing. 
80 about baptism, rejoicing, 288. Repentance, 110, playing instruments, 317 mentions of that. The second coming of Christ, 318 passages, praise, 340. What's the point? Praise, worship, and an expression of worship to God. And most of these are in the Psalms, but they're throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament. It's important. A response from God's people to the worth and majesty of who God is, is important. Jesus described effective prayer in, in what's called the Lord's Prayer, and he begins the Lord's Prayer. We know it, uh, many of us who've grown up in church, our Father who is in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. He starts out before he gets into, here's how you pray for your needs. Give us this day, our daily bread. He gets into all those things, and you know the, uh, but before he gets to our needs, you know, human nature is, I'm gonna go to God and start my list. But, but he says, here's, here's the way to pray. He says, start with recognizing God's your father. You have relationship. You have access. Like a child reaching up to their, their dad, like a, like a child coming to their father. You can come to God through Jesus. But then he says, respond to God with worship. And, and, and he says, hallowed or holy is your name. The longer I've walked with Jesus, the more of my prayer time is consumed with praising him and less than worrying about my own situation or less than bringing my own need as important and as necessary as that is. We should bring our needs to God. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not illegal. (laughs) We can and should do that. We should go to God with that. But sometimes I believe we miss a closer relationship with God and sometimes we become preoccupied with the scope of our problem because we don't begin with praise. We don't begin with worship. Uh, Acts 13 describes the early church. Acts 13, 2. Uh, it says that they ministered to the Lord and fasted. What does it mean to minister to God? You know, ministry means you're serving, you're meeting a need, you're, you're doing something. When we minister to people, we feed people, clothe people, pray for people, love people. We serve needs. But when we, how do you minister to one who has no need? Are you with me? Like, he's not running out. There's never, there's not a place where God is somehow missing something. But you know what God's always been after is you. God's always been after you. He's always been after a family. He's always been after a people to know him and love him back. And so that's what God's looking for. And the early church got this. So they began with, and they were preoccupied with ministering to the Lord. And they're fasting, they're praying, they're seeking the face of God. And it says the Holy Spirit spoke. In the midst of them said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. This would be the Apostle Paul who would write two-thirds of the New Testament, preach the gospel all over the world for the work to which I've called them. I think the biggest thing as a pastor that people ask and want to know, and this is something we are passionate about helping people discover, is what am I called to do? What's the will of God for my life? Everybody's got a purpose. Everybody's got a calling. But I'll, I'll say this, if I could kind of help lay the foundation for this. We can find the dream of God for our life. We can find the purpose for which we're created and miss the creator. We can do all the stuff that we're created for and miss him. I can be effective, successful, fruitful, have all kinds of things. I can build a successful business or ministry or whatever. But at the end of the day, if I, if I don't make the main thing the main thing, I can miss him. And I love this. It says that as they were preoccupied with heaven, heaven said, hey, listen, now is time to do what I've called you to do. Calling is found first in pursuing the one who gives it. 
So we, we think I'm going to find my purpose by just trying to pursue my purpose, but that's not really quite the way it works. I think we should take time to develop our gifts and our skill set and, 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 and learn from people in our area of calling. That's all good. I do that too, but we don't want to ever miss the one who called us. Because here's what happens when we don't, the dream of God takes the place of God in our life. The thing we've been praying for, asking God for, wanting God to do, even if it's good and even if it's our calling, we can sometimes let that take the place of God. Uh, Jesus, when he was traveling, he would go through some places more often than others. And I don't know why, but I think, here's my opinion, I think some places, you know, obviously some places rejected him. There's one town in particular, it's not far from Jerusalem, it's called Bethany. And Bethany was one of his favorite places to go to because he would go there often. That's where Lazarus is from. And Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And there's a lot in the Gospels about all three of these people. We, we know of Lazarus from being raised from the dead. But I, I love Mary's relationship in particular with the Lord because Mary was a worshiper first and foremost, and so her heart was worship. Her first encounter of, of meeting Jesus and, and coming to Jesus was when she broke the, the flask and poured out the oil and, and wept at his feet. And she was a part of preparing him for his burial even. And, 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 and she expressed worship when Martha was busy making lunch for Jesus and, and he was there teaching. And she's distracted. Mary's at his feet listening to his words. What's the point? That when, when Mary worshiped, she created a place that Jesus liked to hang out. Uh, honor is a principle that what we honor, we attract more of in our life. I want more of God, so I want to honor him. And when I honor him, I'm creating capacity in my life to draw more of that into my world. And so I want to create an environment. It's just just very simple. It's like I've been giving this analogy through this series that when you have somebody coming over that you're, you know, getting the house ready for and you're setting the table and you're making dinner and you're trying to find your best dish or the thing that they want to eat the most and you're getting it ready because it matters how you set the table. It matters how you, you know, I learned this especially from my wife. Anytime we have somebody over, we got some cleaning to do. And I, I, I don't understand it sometimes because my house, you know, is, looks great because my wife does so awesome and we always do, you know, she helps us. Um, and, 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 but I'll, I'll look at something and go, oh, it's good. And she's like, no, it's not good. <laughs> you have different standards than I do. You know, that's what she'll tell me. So, so here's the thing. We want to Create an environment where we value what matters most, and that's the person of God. Now, I've got this ladder up here for a reason, because uh, I want to give you, for the next few moments, seven words that are used in the Bible for praise. So the English language, of course, has a lot of nuance. It's a very complex language. If I don't know if there's a few of you probably have English as a second language. or uh, And so you know how difficult it is to learn English. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, the Hebrew language and the Greek language, there's many times, like, for example, in Greek, there's the word love that's translated in English. But in Greek, there's multiple words for love. Well, there's also multiple words for praise. And in our English Bible, it'll say praise, but it can be one of several. And uh, we're going to look at these seven. Tonight, I'm going to try not to get bogged down too much with this, but I want to give these to illustrate the value and also what pr- praise produces in our life. Number one is this word, uh, todah. 
Todah, which means a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You can put the definition up, uh, Todah. Uh, actually, leave that first slide so anybody's writing that down. Let me read the definition to you. Uh, it's the sacrifice of thanksgiving that is demonstrated with an extension of the hand in adoration. So there's going to be some overlap to these words, but I want you to see this. The main focus of Todah is the, that it means a sacrifice of thanksgiving. So this is when you f- praise God whether you feel like it or not. So this is your first rung of the ladder. I'm going to try my best not to fall off the stage tonight. Uh, this is the first rung where we, we start with, because there's just moments, let's be honest, and I'm, maybe it'll help somebody, because sometimes we get discouraged because we're not feeling it today. I know some of you always feel spiritual. <laughs> I'd like to tell you we're always going to feel spiritual, but we're not. Um, but that doesn't mean that we have to be led by our feelings. We have to allow, that we have to let our feelings determine what's our response to God. And, you know, we f- use this phrase sometimes, even in the church, but you hear this phrase, you know, uh, fake till you make it. You know, smile, put on a smile, put on a show, you know, wear the mask. But that's not what God's after. God's obviously after our hearts, and he wants something authentic. So it's okay to not be okay at the moment. Are, are you with me? But thanksgiving, a sacrifice of thanksgiving is not staying there. It's not staying in a place of, woe is me. It's not staying in a place of, I always miss it. You know, it's not staying in the place of self-pity, discouragement, wanting to quit. And it's not staying in a place that's unfortunately what I think is plaguing not just one but many generations today is entitlement. And it's hard to feel entitled when you're grateful. (laughs) I think the key to an an attitude of entitlement is a heart of gratitude, to recognize that what I have comes from him. And that what I have, I I can be thankful for. You know, I I, I don't know, you know, how this would work, but I I was challenged years ago that uh, what if God only let me keep what I thanked him for? (laughs) Ouch. Ouch. But when we look at this, the sacrifice of thanksgiving, thanksgiving is a response to God, but it's a, it starts with, with, and it's a sacrifice because it's whether I feel it or not, it's actually a decision. Not a feeling, but a decision. Some of us got to stop letting feelings determine whether or not we feel saved today. <laughs> oh God, you love me today. Oh But it's a decision to respond to the goodness and greatness of God. But it's a decision to thank God and praise God, whether I feel it or not, if my circumstances are good or not at the moment. Because praise or or thanksgiving, todah, as we saw, is a decision that leads to an action of praise. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Luke 17 tells a story. We won't dive into it for time, but if you're taking notes, write it down. Luke 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers one day. Heals 10 lepers, and what he does is in healing them, he removes the leprosy. And then he tells them, he says, go and present yourselves to the priests. And as they go, they realize the leprosy's gone. But the problem with leprosy is it has effects. Not only did it create social isolation and physical conditions, and, and, but it would cause oftentimes uh, people to lose limbs. And, and so, so they have long-lasting effects even after they've been healed of leprosy. 
and 10 of them are on their way and they realize they're healed and nine of them celebrate and they keep going. But one of them goes, I've got to go back and tell Jesus what happened. I've got to thank him. And he comes back to Jesus and Jesus actually makes a note of this. He says, where's the other nine? How come you're the only one that came back to say thank you? Kind of human nature, isn't it? And you know what happened? Jesus said to him, he says, well, let me just read this part because you got to catch this. Um, yeah, verse 19. He said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. That word well is wholeness. See, not only did he have leprosy taken from him, but he became whole. Thankfulness is the key to wholeness. And, and so, so this guy didn't just get healed, he got restored. And so I think that's the difference. Sometimes our attitude is what affects our altitude in our relationship with God. It's what's keeping us from going any higher. It's what's keeping us from moving forward. It's what's keeping us stuck in a place of self-pity or entitlement or whatever the issue is. So don't just focus on what's wrong in your life at the, at the neglect of what's good or right. Focus on Jesus. Focus on eternity. Um, let's look at this. Uh, number two is Yadah. Yadah is strong praise. Strong praise. Keep that, that up for a moment on the slide. I'll read the definition. The action, it's the action of extending our hands in power, strength, as we confess, praise, sing, and give thanks to the nature and work of God. So, so what's the difference between these two, two words? Um, one is a sacrifice of praise. It's, it's whether I feel it or not, yada is, is, is a, primarily a response to God. Like God shows up, you feel his presence, you're feeling, you're overwhelmed with thank, with, 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 with love for God and your response to God. Like nobody has to tell you, okay, lift your hands now. Okay, get happy now. This is, this is the, this is the time where you celebrate. Like, like I, so my, I love this idea of strong praise because um, my wife uh, is part of a hockey family. And you cannot go to a Bulls or Toros game and not hear my wife at some point. She's the loudest whistler in the entire arena. It's very true. So next time you're there and you hear a ear piercing, if you, if you see some people with their ears bleeding, it's us next to my wife because she's, it's so loud. And, she, and so, so she, it doesn't matter if she's the only one yelling out in a game. Because, so here's, here's, here's what I know. When you are excited about something, there's a response. And when we're excited about God and what God has done in our life, there's a response. That's this word, yada. It's a, it involves a feeling. You know, some people don't like that. Some people go, well, we shouldn't have emotional-ism in church. And, 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 and that's, that's fine. I don't want everything to be based on emotions. But it's like saying, you know, when you get married, don't be happy. Some of you are like, that's what I tell everybody. They have no idea what's coming. <laughs> Psalm 111, verse 1, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. In the assembly of the upright and in the congregation, I'm going to praise with my whole heart, the psalmist says. So it's an enthusiastic, strong praise. Number three is Zamar. Uh, Zamar is the one I have the hardest time with. It's instrumental praise. So Pastor Jason's way better at that than me. But this is praise with instruments. Now, I want you to catch this because um, I don't think we realize the impact. Well, let me just read the definition real quick. Uh, it's to touch the strings or a part of a musical instrument, to play upon it, to make music with instruments accompanied by singing. So, so 
you know, this is something that, you know, we don't recognize that music carries a spiritual impact for good or bad. And so, so you're never going to hear me say, you know, don't listen to this, listen to that, you know. But God gives us discernment, and when you feel like something ain't right, listen to that. <laughs> Are you with me? If something's not producing fruit in your life or it's not healthy in your life, you know, uh, and, and so because there actually is a real spiritual thing attached to sometimes what we're entertained by or fill our life and our mind and our spirit with. Okay, so, but, but worship does the same thing. Psalm 150, verse 3, praise him with the sound of the trumpet, praise him with the lute and the harp, praise him with the timbrel and dance, praise him with the stringed instruments and flutes. I would add electric guitars and, and all. okay. Uh, praise him with the loud cymbals. Anybody who doesn't like loud music in church, read this verse and... There you go. Okay. Uh, I'll refer you, anybody back to this podcast, Jason. Just make a note of that. Um, <laughs> 2 Kings 3.15 is a, a story that I've shared before, but I, w- I want you to catch this. So, so Elisha is called to meet with a couple kings. One is a backslidden king, and one's a king that's serving God. And they're in a place of kind of just a, at a standstill because they, they're preparing their armies to fight the Syrians and they get to a place where there's no water because uh, they, they didn't see God's wisdom before they set out to fight, and they end up in a dry place. There's no water. They have no means to support their army, and they are pretty close to being toast. And so while they're out there, Elisha's called for. What do we do? And before he prophesies and gives them the word from the Lord, here's what happens. Second Kings 3.15, he says, now bring me a musician. He says, call Pastor Jason over here. He says, bring me a musician, and it happened when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. So there, there is something about worship that changes the atmosphere. Uh, David, the psalmist, this warrior who would kill Goliath, who would take down a giant, who would, who would slay the Philistines, who would give Israel victory. Before he was a warrior, he was first a worshiper. And he would be all by himself, taking care of his dad's business, and he'd just be worshiping God. See, so don't worry about not having a platform yet. If that's, that's, that's a part of your calling, that's good. But, but recognize that the most important thing we can do is worship him. And as he's worshiping, suddenly he's realizing something happens when I worship. And one day the king, is, who's King Saul, he's a backslidden king, and he's tormented by a, a, by a spirit. And, and, and he calls for David. And David begins to play in his presence. And every time that David begins to play, not only does he feel better because of the music, but the Holy Spirit steps in and something else leaves. And this is important, church. It's important we recognize this because you set the table. There's some people in your life that if you'd stop nagging them and you would start changing the environment, you might see different results. You know, before they ever show up home, at home or at work, just, just as much as you're able to, just start setting the table. Just start praying. Just start worshiping. Just start, because when you do that, they're stepping into something. I had a number of years ago, I'll share this story. Um, we had a young man named Michael who was a, uh, we had a, a martial arts studio in our area that the, the owners of the martial arts studio went to our church. And they were the best 
people, inviting people to our church. It was awesome. They brought all these people to church. One of these guys that signed up at their studio to be a teacher was this young man named Michael. And he signed up as an instructor by accident because he had he had shown up to, right next door to their martial arts studio was a liquor store. And he showed up, drank an entire bottle down and was so drunk he didn't know the next decision he made. But he signed up for, <laughs> he's like, he, he had a background in Taekwondo or something. So he, he signs up for this, ends up the next week, he gets a phone call from the owners of the studio. And they said, hey, thanks for signing up. And we're looking at your you know, experience. It'd be great. And so they, they pull him in. And then they start telling him about our church. And, uh, and so they invite him to church. But they tell him, they give him a little disclaimer. There's a lot of music in the beginning. And so he says, okay, whatever, fine. I'll just sit in the back until. And so, so he does this. He's in the back of the room. And while he's in the back of the room, worship team's leading, the, leading us in the presence of God. We're going after it. And while that's happening, this young man, Michael, in the back of the room, the Holy Spirit begins to touch him. Nobody's prayed for him. Nobody's talked to him. Nobody's preached to him yet. Haven't had an altar call. He falls on his knees in the back of the room and is so overwhelmed by the presence of God, he gives his life to Jesus. Gets set free. His life becomes changed. And, 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 and what could happen... And, and all we did was set a table. That, that's, that's all we did. Why? Because it wasn't about us being there. It was about somebody else that was in the room with him. Okay. Um, let's keep going. Number four, halal. That's where we get hallelujah from. Hallelujah means celebration praise. It's to celebrate, to glorify, to boast, to be clamorous, to be foolish even, to rave and to shine. It's crazy praise. Hallelujah means praise to Yah or praise to Yahweh, a shortened form of his name. So it's a, it's a physical expression. It's something that engages your heart and your mind and your emotions. I want you to see this. Second uh, Samuel 6.22, David goes on a little bit. He gets married to Saul's daughter. And one day he's celebrating the arrival of the ark into the city of Jerusalem. And he gets a little bit crazy. Like he gets a little bit Pentecostal and everybody else isn't used to that. And they're like, you need to tone it down a little bit, David. This is weird. Because his wife, she actually says that. She says, um, you embarrassed yourself today. And his response is so good because here's his response. He wasn't worried what people thought of him. That doesn't mean being weird for weird's sake. That's good news. But, but I, here's what I want you to understand. His, his love for God, and he says, you know, he tells Saul's daughter that he's married to. He says, listen, God was with me when no one else was. But when it was just me and a giant and all of Israel hiding, God was there. When, when I was taking care of my dad's sheep and the lion showed up, God was there. When the bear showed up, God was there. When, when some time went by and your dad was jealous of me and he tried to kill me and I had to run for my life, God was there. And I'm going to be even more, just get ready. I haven't even gotten started yet. What you saw was the warm-up. <laughs> because I'm not worshiping for you. I'm not praising for you. And, and, and the sad part in the story is it says that she... There, there was no longer a relationship with the two of them, and they produced no child. There was no intimacy, and there was no life from that. And that's the picture, that when the church abandons the centrality of the presence of God and we get away from the keeping the main thing the main thing, there's no fruitfulness. Well, well I, I just didn't like 
you know, the way Pastor Jason sang that chorus. I, I just didn't like the way this was. Well, the good news is it wasn't for me. It wasn't for him. I'll just let that stop. Okay. Number five. Well, let's go through this quick. Number five is adoration praise. It's, it's the word barak. It's adoration praise, and it means to kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration. It's to respond to God. Luke 7, you can look it up. We, we won't turn there for time, but in Luke 7, there's this story where a Pharisee invites Jesus to the house, has him over, and, and, and he, he gives him dinner. But then halfway through the meal, somebody barges in, and it's a woman who has a reputation. She's a prostitute. She's described as a sinner. She has a reputation. She's well known for that. Well, let's look at verse 37, if you can find that. It says, Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. She stood at his feet, behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, wipe them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he says, Man, if this, one was, if this guy was really a prophet, he would know who this woman is. And Jesus says something, I love this, verse 40. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. <laughs> and he tells him a story. He says, if you've got somebody who is in tremendous debt, you've got two people. One has a small debt, one has a large debt. Neither one of them can repay, but then a, the one they are indebted to forgives their debts completely. Which one do you think is going to love the forgiver more? And, and the Pharisee says, well, probably the one with the larger debt. And, and he says, you're right. The one who's forgiven much loves much. Nobody has to tell them to adore because they know I, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was broken, but he healed me. I was forgotten, but he found me. And he set me free. As the church, let's be careful that we are not critical of other people because we don't know where they've come from. We don't know what they've walked through. We don't know what God's done. And, and, and so, and in our own life, we need to remember how much we've been forgiven of. Sometimes we forget, especially when we've been church long enough, we think like, yeah, maybe I could have managed somehow. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> We had a debt we couldn't pay. Last two, number six is Tehillah. Tehillah, spiritual songs. Spiritual, spontaneous songs of the Spirit flowing in the presence of God. So these are, these are, are, this is praising with words that aren't somebody else's. So they're not the words we have on the screen. This is when you from your own heart exalt him. This is used in Psalm 22, verse three. You are holy and throned in the praises of Israel. Tehillah, enthrones God. Now, now, this word I thought is so interesting because the word enthrone there doesn't just mean that God reigns, and it does. But it also carries this idea of, of to make someone dwell even like a bridegroom and a bride dwelling together. So there's now a closeness and relationship. Here's the point. When we praise and we worship, we're inviting him to be enthroned right in our midst right in our situation, and there's a closeness that takes place. It's praising beyond just what somebody else tells you, 
but now it's coming from your own heart. Now, you can, you can have wholehearted praise with the songs that have words that are written. I thank God for that. But there's something special about from your own heart, digging deep and saying, God, this is what you mean to me. This is who you are. This is what I've seen, and this is what I know about you. The last one. Jason, if you want to get ready, the last one is sabak, which is shouting praise. It's shouting praise. And it carries two very almost contrary ideas this Hebrew word can mean. It means to praise, to glory, to shout, to triumph. And it means to still or to pacify. I want to give you a couple passages from Psalms real quick. And then we're going to pray. And, and I hope this hasn't been too much, you know, just digging into this, but I want you to catch this because here's what praise brings us into. Here's what happens as we're climbing the ladder, so to speak. Not that one has to lead to the other, but here's the progression that as we're praising and as we're worshiping, it leads us to a place of, of, of God's authority being released to our situation. That was what was happening when Paul was singing in jail. That's what was happening when, when, when we saw last week, Abraham is talking with God and he's setting the table and God God says, I got to talk to Abraham about the situation. He's my friend. And he invited Abraham to have input to a situation to bring intercession. And praise brings an authority to your situation and mine. We think praise is just me celebrating what God did. Anybody can praise when the Super Bowl's won. Praise is recognizing God has given you victory before the battle's over before you've seen your body totally healed, before you've seen the miracle take place, because you know your God is the healer. He is the provider. He is the God who brings victory. And it's a praise that brings a shout. Well, that's just not my personality. <laughs> it's an eruption of shouts of praise to God. Psalm 47, oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. You know, the Bible doesn't say is give God a golf clap. <laughs> Sometimes there's a shout. One last passage, Psalm 149. I want you to catch this, study this, underline it. If you are taking notes, Psalm 149, verse 5, let the saints be joyful in glory. Oh, the church should be the most joyful people on the planet. Intercessors should be the most joy. I've met a lot of unhappy intercessors. But you know what happens? It's not because when we get preoccupied with darkness, we allow that to set the agenda. Church, don't let what's happening around you set the agenda. Come on, you, you, you're to have some joy. There's a time to weep. There's a time to mourn. But there's a time for joy that comes from his presence. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises, verse 6, of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. You've got God's word. The Bible says of itself it's a two-edged sword. You've got the word of God and you've got praise. And when you release out of your own mouth what God has said, and you begin to worship, and you begin to declare his greatness, it invites the God who breaks chains into that situation. It sets captives free. And I'm telling you, I've seen it in 17 years. My favorite miracles are the ones where nobody's even prayed for him. And I love that too, when God does something. But I can tell you what, there's something special that happens when God just steps in the room. 
And I think we're going to see more and more as we continue to say, I'm going to set the table for God, not just in church, not just in a service, but in my family. I can tell you a lot of testimonies of revival and God moving in my own life, in my own family, when I just began to set the table in worship. Let the high praise of God be in their mouth. The last thing it means is to pacify, to still. And you have a God who speaks peace to the waters. There's a storm around some of us right now. And when you begin to worship, the water that's raged around you that you thought would take you out, destroy your faith, destroy your marriage, destroy your relationship with God. He speaks peace to the water. It says, be still. Would you stand to your feet? Worship silences the accuser. Worship sets your eyes on the only one who can be the answer. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co.